This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Narrated by Sean McKinley. Bohemian San Francisco, The Elegant Art of Dining, by Clarence Edwards. Section 3. Birth of the French Restaurant. French impression came strongly about this time, and the Poodle Dog of Paris had its prototype at Bush and Dupont Streets. This was one of the earliest of the type known as French restaurants, and numerous convivial parties of men and women found its private rooms convenient for rendezvous. Old Pierre of later days, who was found dead out on the Colma Road, some two years after the fire of 1906, was a waiter at the Poodle Dog when it started, and by saving his tips and making good investments, he was able to open a similar restaurant at Stockton and Market, which he called the Pup. The Pup was famous for its frog legs a la poulette. In this venture Pierre had a partner to whom he sold out a few years later, and then he opened the Tortoni in O'Farrell Street which became one of the most famous of all the pre-fire restaurants, its table d'hote dinners being considered the best in the city. When Klaus Spreckels built the tall Spreckels building, Pierre and his partner opened the call restaurant in the top stories. With the fire both of the restaurants went out of existence, and the old proprietor of the Poodle Dog having died, Pierre and a partner named Pon bought the place, and for a year or so after the fire, it was one of the best French restaurants in the city. After Pierre's untimely death, the restaurant was merged with Berger and Franks, and is now in Bush Street above Kearney. Much romance attached to Pierre, it being generally believed that he belonged to a wealthy French family. Because of his education, his unfailing courtesy, his ready wit, and his gentility. Pierre specialized in fish cooked with wine, and as a favor to his patrons he would go to the kitchen and prepare the dish with his own hands. In O'Farrell Street the Delmonico was one of the most famous of their French restaurants until the fire. It was several stories high, and each story contained private rooms. Carriages drove directly into the building from the street and the occupants went by elevator to soundproof rooms above, where they were served by discreet waiters. The Poodle Dog, the Pup, Delmonico's, Jacques, Frank's, the Mint, Berger, Felix and Campy's are the connecting links between the fire and the pioneer days. Some of them still carry the names and memories of the old days. All were noted for their good dinners and remarkably low prices. Shortly after the fire, Blanco, formerly connected with the old Poodle Dog, opened a place in O'Farrell Street, between Hyde and Larkin, calling it Blanco's. During the Reconstruction period, this was by far the best restaurant in the city, and it is still one of the noted places. Later, Blanco opened a fine restaurant in Mason Street, between Turk and Eddy, reviving the old name of the Poodle Dog and here all the old traditions have been revived. Both of these savor of the old type of French restaurants. 
catering to a class of quiet spenders who carefully guard their indiscretions. In the early fifties and sixties, the most noted places were not considered respectable enough for ladies, and at restaurants like the Three Trees, in DuPont just above Bush Street, ladies went into little private rooms through an alley. Peter Job saw his opportunity and opened a restaurant where special attention was paid to lady patrons, and shortly after the New York restaurant in Kearney Street did the same. Merging the post-pioneer era with a pre-fire era came the Maison Dorée, which became famous in many ways. It was noted for oysters a la poulette, prepared after the following recipe. Oysters a la poulette One half cup butter, three tablespoons flour, yolks of three eggs, one pint chicken stock or veal, one tablespoonful lemon juice, one-eighth teaspoon pepper, one level teaspoon salt. Beat the butter and flour together until smooth and white. Then add salt, pepper, and lemon juice. Gradually pour boiling stock on this mixture and simmer for ten minutes. Beat the yolks of eggs in a saucepan, gradually pouring the cooked sauce upon them. Pour into a double boiler containing boiling water in lower part of utensil. Stir the mixture for one and one-half minutes. Into this, put two dozen large oysters and let cook until edges curl up and serve hot. Captain Cropper, an old Marylander, had a restaurant that was much patronized by good livers, and in addition to the usual southern dishes, he specialized on terrapin a la Maryland, sending back to his native state for the famous diamond-back terrapin. His recipe for this was as follows. Terrapin a la Maryland Cut a terrapin in small pieces about one inch long after boiling it. Put the pieces in a sauté pan with two ounces of sweet butter, salt, pepper, a very little celery salt, a pinch of paprika. Simmer for a few minutes, then add one glass of sherry wine, which reduce to half by boiling. Then add one cup of cream, bring to a boil, and thicken with two yolks of eggs mixed with a half cup of cream. Let it come to a near boil, and add half a glass of dry sherry, and serve. You may thicken the terrapin with the following mixture. Two raw yolks of eggs, two boiled yolks of eggs, one ounce of butter, one ounce cornstarch, rub together and pass through a fine sieve. Uncle Tom's Cabin, Tony Oaks, the Hermitage, and Cornelius Staggs were noted roadhouses where fine meals were served, but these are scarcely to be considered as San Francisco Bohemian restaurants. The reception on the corner of Sutter and Webb Streets which continued up to the time of the fire, was noted for its terrapin specialties. But it was rather malodorous, and ladies who patronized it usually went in through the Webb Street entrance to keep from being seen. The old Baldwin Hotel, which stood where the flood building now stands, at the corner of Market and Powell, and which was destroyed by fire some fourteen years ago, was the favorite resort of many of the noted men of the West, 
and the grill had the distinction of being the best in San Francisco at that time. The grill of the old Palace Hotel was also of highest order, and this was especially true of the ladies' grill, which was then, as now, noted for its artistic preparation of a wondrous variety of good things. Probably the most unique place of the pioneer and post-pioneer eras was the Cobweb Palace, at Meig's Wharf, run by queer old Abe Warner. It was a little ramshackle building, extending back through two or three rooms, filled with all manner of old curios, such as comes from sailing vessels that go to different parts of the world. These curios were piled indiscriminately everywhere, and there were boxes and barrels piled with no regard whatever for regularity. This heterogeneous conglomeration was covered with years of dust and cobwebs, hence the name. Around and over these played bears, monkeys, parrots, cats and dogs, and whatever sort of bird or animal that could be accommodated until it had the appearance of a small menagerie. Warner served crab in various ways and clams. In the rear room which was reached by a devious path through the debris, he had a bar where he served the finest of imported liquors, French brandy, Spanish wines, English ale, all in the original wood. He served no ordinary liquor of any sort, saying that if anybody wanted whiskey they could get it at any saloon. He catered to a class of men who knew good liquors, and his place was a great resort for children of whom he was fond, and who went there to see the animals. The frontispiece of this book is from one of the few existing, if not the only one, photographs of the place. Equally unique, yet of higher standard, was the Palace of Art, run by the Hackett Brothers, and Post Street near Market. Here were some of the finest paintings and marble carvings to be found in the city together with beautiful hammered silver plaques and cups. Curios of all sorts were displayed on the walls, and among them were many queer wood growths, showing odd shapes as well as odd colorings. A large and ornate bar extended along one side of the immense room, and tables were placed about the room and in a balcony that ran along one side. Here. Meals were served to both men and women, the latter being attracted by the artistic display and unique character of the place. This was destroyed by the fire, and all the works of art lost. AT THE CLIFF HOUSE Three times destroyed by fire, and three times rebuilt. The Cliff House stands on a rocky promontory overlooking the sundown sea where San Francisco's beach is laved by the waves of the ocean. Since the first cliff house was erected, this has been a place famous the world over because of its scenic beauty and its overlooking the seal rocks, where congregate a large herd of sea lions, disporting much to the edification of the visitors, appealing from its romantic surroundings, interesting because of its history, and attractive through its combination of dashing waves and beautiful beach extending miles in one direction, with the rugged entrance to Golden Gate in the other, 
with the mysterious pharaohs in the dim distance. The Cliff House may well be classed as one of the great bohemian restaurants of San Francisco. Lovers of the nightlife know it well, for it is the destination of many an automobile party. During the day its terraces are filled with visitors from abroad who make this a part of their itinerary, and here, as they drink in the wondrous beauty of the scene spread before them, partake of well-prepared and well-served dishes, such as made both the Cliff House and San Francisco well and favorably known, and whose fame is not bounded by the continent. But for a more pleasant visit to the Cliff House, one should choose the early morning hours, and go out when the air is blowing free and fresh from the sea, the waves cresting with amber under the magic touch of the easterly sun. Select a table next to one of the western windows, and order a breakfast that is served here better than any place we have tried. This breakfast will consist of broiled breast of young turkey, served with broiled Virginia ham, with a side dish of corn fritters. When you sit down to this after a brisk ride out through Golden Gate Park, you have the great sauce, appetite, and with a pot of steaming coffee whose aroma rises like the incense to the sea-gods, you will feel that while you have thought you had good breakfasts before this, you know that now you are having the best of them all. Of course, there are many other good things to order if you like, but we have discovered nothing that makes so complete a breakfast as this. End of section 3